The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get The Essential Calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, and today I am here without my buddy Megan Francis, my usual co-host, because today is one of our special monthly interview episodes. We call this our Voices series. And today I'm chatting with KJ Delantonia, who is a writer and a mom of four. She lives on a working farm in New Hampshire. KJ is the former editor of the New York Times Motherload blog, where I personally did a lot of my online blog reading in the early motherhood years, where I discovered some amazing writers who have continued to inspire me over the years. And KJ has a new book out. It's called How to Be a Happier Parent. And it is all about that, how to be a happier parent. It's really about how to find happiness in the place where you are right now in the chaos of motherhood. And as you guys know, that's something we talk about a lot on this show. KJ shoots it straight. She gets it. She knows that dinner time and homework time and mornings and sibling fights are literally the worst. And in writing this book, she kind of set out to find out how parents around the country are handling those tricky spots, those things that so often trigger grumpiness in both moms and our kids, and that kind of get, a, get in the way of our overall happiness. Megan and I talked earlier this week about laundry, which was a really fun episode. If you haven't caught it yet, go back and listen. One of the fun things about that laundry episode was it was sort of like peeking behind the scenes in how things really work in our houses. And I think if you liked that, you'll like KJ's book because she really talks to a lot of real parents from around the country about what they're doing to make these things work. Things like dinner time, things like bedtime, things like mornings, things like sibling fights, um, which is things we all deal with. But it's it's really reassuring to see how different people are handling it around the country and in particular to learn from the people who are have found something that works for them. Um, so I really think that you're going to love the conversation I have with KJ. In her book, she also talks with experts and does a lot of her own research. So for those of you who like data and expert opinions, there's some of that in there, as well as all of the real mom stories. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. 
Listeners head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. All right, let's get into my conversation with KJ Delantonia, who is the author of the brand new book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Hi, KJ. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Well, we're really excited to have you. Um, And your new book is coming out in August. We are in August. It's coming out in a couple weeks. And it is about how to be a happier parent. So I want to set this up for our listeners. I really liked the way you set up the concept of happiness as a parent in the introduction of your book, which is sort of like you don't have to be happy at every minute all the time about all the things. And, you know, our listeners, a lot of them are really in the trenches of new motherhood. So It's pretty hard to be like super thrilled with barf everywhere and all the things. Yeah. But you, you kind of zoom out from there, I think, and talk about happiness being sort of like a, I don't know, a base level contentment with the life that you've built. Is that how you think of right. it? Yeah. So the book is how to be a happier parent, having a fa- uh, raising a family, having a life and loving almost every minute. And the <laughs> almost is deeply key. Yeah. There's right? a lot in um, that pr- parenthetical. There's a lot almost. in those parentheticals. Um, Yeah. So this is not like a goal. Like I'm going to get happy and then I'm just going to stay happy. And no matter what happens, it won't phase me. I'll be floating above it like a cloud. Right. Um, No, that that's not the deal. The deal is basically um, here we all are. Right. And we 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 wanted this very fair. Relatively few of us had our children thrust upon us um, unwillingly. And a lot of us worked really hard. Yeah. You know, if you had struggles with infertility or if you're an adoptive parent, then you you went to some lengths to create this world for yourself. And um, and I went to some lengths to create this world for myself. And um, when we look around one day and go, well, wait a minute, this is this is I mean, I, this is what I wanted, but I'm not really I'm not really enjoying it or yeah. I'm not really feeling so great about it. That's the point when you have to figure out, like, how you can maybe change some things that are going on and also maybe change the way you're looking at some other things so that you can enjoy your lovely 
you know, mostly pretty spiffy modern life, right? Yes. I mean, by and large, we we mostly have it pretty good. There are times when we don't. Right. Um, and there are, there are ordinary sucky bits, too. I mean, you know, when you're cleaning up the dog barf with one hand and the kid's barfing on your shoulder <laughs> and with, with the other, you know, you don't have to be celebrating. But on the other hand, um, you know, it's overall, you're, you're not Caroline Ingalls on the prairie either. Right. So, right. No, I love that. that much. I um when I have this memory of like I think after I had my third kid so I had three kids relatively close together so I had like a newborn and a toddler and a preschooler and I just remember saying to my husband at the macro level I'm really happy like this is the thing that I wanted but at the micro at the detailed level I just felt super super grumpy and I think that's that's what I remembered when I was reading the way you wrote about it too is there's um that that tension of this is the life that I wanted and yet, wait a second, I feel pretty grumpy a lot of the time. That tension is therein lies the opportunity, maybe, right. um, to well, look at both. this. Yeah. Like, part of it is, let's look at that, that grumpy and like, okay, well, well why? Um, and some of it is that we've got this sort of, you know, you, you've got your deck of cards. Um, you've got these kids, but on the, the plus side for Caroline Engel on the Prairie is that <laughs> She had paw and the kids were expected to do things. And also nobody was going to come and tell her that what she was doing was wrong. So she had that much going for her. Um, We, on the other hand, have, you know, we live in a society where we give lip service to family. Your children are your number one. This is our priority. We are a family oriented nation. And, you know, this is your most important thing you'll ever do. But we're not going to help. Right, right. I mean, like, you know, I, Good luck I, with I, I don't that. know how you're going to make the money to take care of those kids because we're not going to give you time off. Right. And we're not, you know, we get it. You've got, you know, you've got a baby and now you must be with it 24-7 and, and also earn some money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. No, no Have pressure. Have you noticed those, those, little, those little ads on the side of your internet? Work yeah. from home. Yeah, try that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. And I think that once you sort of, when I set out to, you know, I was the um, editor of the New York Times' parenting blog for, for many, many years. And I, I've got a, I've had like this bird's eye view of family policy and family and how we do it as ind- individuals and how we do it nationally for this really long time. And um, when he, uh, one of the sort of possible books I could have written was, was that one. Mm-hmm. The, hey, we don't have any help here. Yeah. But the problem with that one, from my perspective, is, OK, I, I got it. I've, you know, I've, I've written about it a lot. Um, I'm aware of it. I think we're all aware of it. And most many of us are working to change it mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. But we're not going to change it for us. Right. You know, I already had my babies without mandatory national parenting right. leave. Right. Um, I'm not having any more if we get it. Because right. that's <laughs> so my question really was like, OK, Given where we are and right. accepting that we're, we're, we're hoping for some changes in various ways. And if you don't want National Parenting League, that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, it, but just accepting that we are where we are. What can we do for ourselves? Not not because you can only do things for yourself and you shouldn't get any help and pull yourself up from your own bootstraps. But because this is where we are. Right. You know, what can we what can we make better? Right. How can we? Right. Yeah, this is the life we've got. Let's yep. let's make it as best as we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that that rings true in the book, no matter where, you know, no matter what your 
circumstances. Um, So I did think it was interesting that you set out to write this book on being happier. And you also talk about this in the introduction, that you could have approached that a number of ways, you know, moving chronologically or, you know, moving through the habits that happy parents have and what happy people do. And in the end, you settled on kind of organizing the book around the opposite of happiness, which is what are the really common (laughs) pain points or obstacles to happiness. And and in a minute, we're going to get into a couple of them specifically. But I thought that was interesting that that was the format you landed on. Um, is there anything I mean, was that like an aha moment um, or did it just feel like that was the way this book was meant to be structured? I loved it. Um, yeah, good. I, I had it's so funny because I hadn't exactly thought of that. Like, I'd like to be happier. Let's look at the bad bit. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about homework true. and <laughs> chores. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, Some of it was that I really sort of went out there to as many people and asked them, well, what would you, you know, what would you want? Because one really sort of interesting alternative was going to be to find people that were happy and sort of figure out, try to to, to draw. Right. Reverse engineer. But you you mentioned why you didn't do that. And I thought it was really interesting because it's so it's not one size fits all. No, it's very individual. So there's sort of two things going on. And one is that a lot of the time, the thing that that family has done to make themselves happier is something no one else can do. One of my friends was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I was talking about how, you know, a family that had gotten happier sort of by, um, you know, I, I don't even remember the details of it, but she was like, I, you're just, I think they had, um, you know, sort of formed a life around a community and moved right. to one of those places where yeah. you could you know, interact with your neighbors all the time. And she's like, you're, that's just going to make me feel like crap. I can't do that. Right. Right. Um, And, but the second piece was that even those families tended to have something that wasn't working. Right. Like, so you've moved somewhere and now you have a community dining room and you know, you're part of this, like, and if everything is lovely, but your kid is the one who won't participate in the, you know, the community chores or whatever. Um, So I couldn't, you know, nobody, nobody's figured it out. Nobody's figured it out. <laughs> and this is absolutely not the book about me having figured it out no, either. I love it. Gosh, no. Um, yeah. So the the format is that each chapter kind of addresses a a pain point or an obstacle to happiness. And then within that chapter, it's research based. Right. So kind of walk yeah. us through. So you look at like, how did we get here and what are some possible solutions? Right. So right? it starts with that societal thing. Like, you know, what are you what are you up against? What? What's going on? What right. can't we change? And then what can we change? Um, and then I usually talk a little about like the way that we think mm-hmm. about the problem, because a lot of th- that's something we can change. Yes. And then I get out and I find so everybody's probably everybody's happy about something. I, yep. I hope so. You know, I find people who are like, yeah, we got chores down. Don't mm-hmm. ask me about dinner, but chores, no problem. Or, you know, vice versa. Right. Yeah. Mornings. You know, Mornings are going pretty well, and it's not because we're all larks and we just get up singing in the morning. It's because we've done these things. Right. So then I find those people and I try to offer what they've done. And it's kind of fun because in, in some of the is chapters, it's like, you could try this or yeah. you could try the exact opposite of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it just depends on who you are and what works for you. Yeah. No, I feel like that's where um, this is kind of perfect for our listening audience who's used to Megan and me kind of offering the same thing. Like, well. It depends, like, (laughs) you know, but you get to choose. We say that a lot on this show, like you, you get to choose, you get to design whatever this is for your family. 
Um, and if it doesn't work, you get to change it. So I think and that's I think a lot of what you're doing, too, is you're presenting some options and some research and then you're still sort of leaving that open and reminding parents that they they do have quite a bit of agency in well i think an important thing that is a consistency among the parents who are happy about whatever given area is that they have chosen Mm -hmm. um and sometimes making a choice means tossing out the other thing Mm -hmm. um you know i even talked to some parents who said you know what my kids don't do chores i taught them to do the laundry but we hire someone Mm -hmm. and that's just it and we are fine with that. And it's that end of that. That's the, that's that's the happiness bit. I totally is, relate to this that. This is our pit. I totally relate to that. This. If I um, look at the yeah, if I look at the chapters and think of the ones that I feel more secure about and less happy about, that is that is the sort of the defining factor. It's that I've decided on something, some system right. or some philosophy. Um, and yeah, you're allowed to change it. You know, oh, yeah. you're allowed to like wrap yourself, <laughs> pack it all up and go, you know, kids. I've thought about this and now you're doing the laundry. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's your prerogative, both as a happier parent and as their parent. Um, yeah, you can you can change it if you don't think it's making you happy. But a key is just you know, decide. Yeah. You do something. Don't just. With, yeah. you know, waffle I, around. I, I, I love that. Um, OK, well, let's dive into a couple of the I picked two of the sections. Um, that I mean, they're all they're all such good topics and they're all things that I think a lot of people struggle with. But um, I picked screens and siblings. So I want to go into just a little more detail in a couple of these chapters just to give our listeners kind of a look at how we're how we're dissecting these things. So starting with screens, because screen time and screens, this is this is a pain point that I think looks very, very different when you have younger kids versus yeah. older kids. And I'm curious so the question I wrote down in my outline is, has anybody figured this out yet? Did you talk to anybody who felt like whether it was an expert or just a regular parent who really felt like they'd found a solution? Because I feel like this is such a evolving thing for most. Well, families. it's kind of a cheater one because the people that feel like they figured it out tend to be the people with easier kids. OK. Around in on this issue. On this issue. You know, there are kids I have. So I have four kids mm-hmm. and among them. I have one for whom screen use is not even remotely. It just if if he was my only child, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we got this. We're <laughs> screen so time. No problem. This. Yeah, it's no problem. I've clearly taught him to moderate his time. <laughs> my excellent parenting has led to a childhood. Yeah. 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 Um, that's how I would feel. And I would be totally wrong because the same excellent parenting, um, you know, has has led in a variety of different directions with the other kids. So the answer is. The answer is that my microphone just fell down. Sorry. Okay, we'll cut that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the answer is not really, because typically, and then the other, the other group of parents that I would say haven't figured out are the ones who have decided on a fairly draconian. Yeah. And that, that, that is negative. And I actually envy these parents, but the ones who really picked a rule and have stuck to it and it was a rule that worked for them for yeah. various reasons. So to that, for them to, you know, their kids may not feel like they have it worked out. Right. Um, everyone may not be super happy about it. But if you have the same rule and you stick to it, the whining typically dies down because you're not going to change it. Um, so, yeah, no, and I, I, I relate okay to that. That's too. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of that's the, the group I was in when with younger kids. But I think Me too. It's, 
Yeah, I think it's so it gets so much messier. So what what were some of the bigger pain points around screens um, for any age group? Like what are the what were the yeah, what were the pain points? Well, they're actually super different and they, okay. they, they fall into two. To me, it divides into two groups. There's the kids who you whose screen time is largely controlled by you because they can't work the remote. Uh-huh. You know, or yeah. yes, they can work your iPhone, but they don't own the iPhone. Right. Like, right. And it, uh, once they think they own that tablet, then your whole world, you know, yeah. then then it all changes. So there's the ones whose access you control. Yeah. Um, and for me, that went a pretty long time. But I think for parents now, it's t- kids because for me, I was dealing with like, you know, a, 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 these, a the disc and you put it in the yeah. thing and it's skipping and you have to press play. And yeah. Um, yeah. And to some extent, like a much earlier version of net, you know, it wasn't Netflix, it was Roku or whatever. Right. So it was complicated. Right. right. Um, and then now it's not complicated. So I think that happens earlier. But when you control them, you ought to be you should be able to feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, the pain point there is the whining. Whining. Yep. And there really is a fairly easy solution, although it doesn't doesn't work quickly, which is to impose something and stick to it. And also to add that if they whine, it goes away. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's not like it's not like that's a you know, it's not some glorious rainbow that's just going to. But most of the time, that's going to work for most kids. And if it's not working, it's probably because either you or your partner isn't actually sticking to it. Right. Right. Um, There's too much too much wiggle room. Yeah. And some kids will not give up. I right. I, I have one of those. So I have complete. Yeah, you're, you're right. Some kids, you can have this policy and you can impose it and like for two years. And, and if you waffle once in two years, that kid will then right. like that. Well, and if you have that, good luck, accept <laughs> it um, and stick to your policy anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's that. And then there are the kids that control their uh, and I don't mean they control their own access because, you know, you can turn off the wireless and you can. But it's different when they have their own device or they can work the device. Right. Right. You know, or they can work the TV because then if you're not standing there or yeah, you just you need a different level. It it just everything changes. Everything really changes when they have their own device. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably like why that chapter could have been a whole a whole book. Did you find that with the parents who were relatively happy with their screen time arrangement or people who'd found good solutions, were they staying pretty flexible and pretty nimble? It's a hard one to like just declare a system and stick to it because like you said as kids age things change as technology changes things change um i'm curious what the parents what they were like the parents who'd kind of felt like they were had relatively figured this out well it's kind of interesting because then there'd be sort of these two groups of parents the ones where i actually knew them so i could you know i they might say well we do such and such and i would know that they hadn't been doing that the whole time right right and then there are the ones that i interviewed Mm-hmm. And they would say, well, I'm doing this and it's working. So that would mean it was working then. But there was right. not really a lot of it wasn't easy to sort of tell. Yeah. Yeah. How flexible they had to be around it. So generally, the people that sort of came to me and said, this is going. This is going good. They had something that was working in that moment. Yeah. Um, most of them would also say, you know, and this may not continue to work. Some of them really. Some people had hit on. something like honestly one person had like a minute of reading equals a minute of screen time and that just that would not work for me right the the record keeping yes that's really oh hard. my gosh yeah. Yeah. i would that would not but it really worked for them yeah um 
a lot of people had some trade-off system set up like that, mm-hmm. or a you can do whatever you want once you have finished with, you know, either yeah. your homework or your you've played outside for an hour, or whatever. Right. Um, those people tended that tended to work too. So people that had a policy would which and those probably that sort of is inherently flexible, and yeah. the kids got some control. Yes. Yeah. Those people tended to be pretty happy. Yeah. And those are um, kind of policies that can grow with you as kids grow and change. I, and I think you also, if I remember, kind of pointed out another group of people who just made certain circumstances or times off limits or on limits. Yep. And that's that's kind of more where my family has fallen. Um, and that's another thing that's sort of adjustable as you grow. But for the most part, my kids have zero during the week because I can I'm in a phase of life where I can control that and it works for us and it won't be they don't need their own devices yet and um, it's so nice not having to have any conversations Monday through right. Friday and so and that our, is where yeah. we were when my that's, that's where we were when I wrote this chapter mm-hmm. um, that's where we were when my kids didn't have their own devices and even when they did because I kind of the ones that had their own devices were not the problem children mm, um, interesting and I sort of excluded social media from that weekday like if you were texting i'm not going to tell you you can't text during the week right um and neither of the those at the time were my older kids they didn't really have it just wasn't an issue sometimes i'd be like you know typically if you're scrolling through instagram for more than 45 minutes it's because you're not feeling very happy maybe you should go do so but by and large it wasn't an issue yeah since writing this my my a third kid has gotten a device and another one has her own. I make my kids buy their own stuff. So mm-hmm. since I wrote that chapter, we've now everybody has their own device. Three of them have a phone um, and Fortnite has entered our world mm-hmm. as it has many people's world. And we're trying something different because the, the child who loves the Fortnite said, um, I feel like I have to play it all the time on the weekend because I can't play it during the week. Okay. Well, and he was. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And, you know, that sort of was the other piece of our rule was. And if I think you've been on there for eight hours, I'm yeah. going to tell you to get off. Right. And uh, yeah. So he pitched that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what if it, you had two hours during the week? And that kind of seemed reasonable. But then we immediately ran into, ta- you know, his, his sisters would say he's been there for more than two hours and he would yeah. argue. And I didn't want to track that. Yeah. So finally, yeah. I said, look, we're going to try open access mm-hmm. you need to kind of tell me when you're getting off and when you're getting on so i have an idea what's going on and and i and i was very and this to me when you have older children this is the key and this is in the chapter mm-hmm. the goal is not for them to obey your rules right the goal is for them to learn to create a moderate life with this stuff yourself which is pro- themselves which right. is probably a goal you're working on yes. as a grown-up yes they know that this is the national conversation. Yeah. They get it. They're hearing this from a lot of people besides yeah. you. They're hearing it from school. They're hearing it from their pediatricians. They're hearing it from the media. Um, you know, don't spend all your time on this. So I, so we really, and for the first two weeks, I just basically thought, oh my God, <laughs> I have, this is, this is not working. And it, it's getting better. Yeah. It's getting better. It really, it really is. I have some hope. And I was one, I mean, like last summer we kept our rule. You couldn't do anything during the week. You could only do it on the weekend unless it was raining. And then I would say, you know, I mean, there were some exceptions. We were at a point where I could do exceptions. But by and large, 
So this is really different, um, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I I think it's going to be okay. Well, I I mean, I so appreciate even you sharing that story. I mean, a lot most of our listeners tell us that they listen to this show because it gives them a peek ahead into what's coming. <laughs> and I think if we can give people that peek in a way that's not like that's open-ended and that you're still figuring it out. I think that's um, well, really and I helpful. feel like the fact that all along what I've been saying to them is, you know, my goal is not for you to follow my rules. It's for you to have some, to, when you go to college, I want you to have some rules of your own. You know, I'm hoping yeah. to send children to college someday who will not just play Fortnite and eat junk food. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the idea would be that they go to class yes. and do their work on their own. Yeah. Without, I'm, I am not going to be there. Right. Um, I'm not going to be calling them. I'm not going to be texting them all the time. That's the goal. Um, and, you know, so I feel like that's loosening this now while they can still make mistakes and I can right. pull it in tighter or while the, they can maybe experience the mistake. Yes. Yeah. I'm no. hopeful. I'm hopeful. I mean, you know, ask me. That is one right. of the problems with writing about parenting is just <laughs> always ask me in 10 years. Right. Right. And then by the time you think you know everything, every, anything, any, everything's changed. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but, you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Sarah, we're welcoming our sponsor, Element. That's spelled L-M-N-T, a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that leans on current science about what our bodies really need in order to deliver the most effective hydration possible. You know, Sarah, Eric is really into keeping up with health research, and he's been insisting to me for years that we actually need more salt to stay hydrated. Turns out Element agrees because they've developed their product based on a growing body of research that shows that for optimal health outcomes, we actually need to be taking in sodium levels at two to three times government recommendations. That's a big difference. Yeah, it really is, Megan. And, you know, electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, and weakness. I know I can feel really rotten when I'm dehydrated. And also, I don't love the taste of plain water, so I'm not that great about drinking it. Element makes a huge difference in how much I'm enjoying my hydration and in how I feel, and it's super easy to fit it into my daily routine. My favorite flavor of Element is the grapefruit, but if that's not for you, we're going to get you set up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite Element flavor. Plus, Element has a no questions asked refund policy. You don't even have to send the product back to get your refund. 
Yeah, you can receive a free element sample pack containing one packet of eight flavors. So you'll get eight total packets free with any order when you purchase through our custom URL. That's drinkelement.com slash mom hour. D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash mom hour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and it's available for both new and returning customers. To get that offer, again, go to drinkelement.com slash mom hour. Okay, so I'm back with KJ Dell'Antonio. We're talking about the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Um, and we're kind of going a little bit deeper into a couple of these happiness obstacles. Um, and another one is siblings. And I really, really loved this chapter. Um, I think because you told quite a bit of personal story um, in talking about why siblings, and I shouldn't say siblings are um, an obstacle to happiness, but the, the fighting and the bickering and the negotiating between siblings is what can just wear and right. tear. The name of that chapter is they can bring the fun and they yes. can take it away. Yes. Um, so I guess to set this up, will you tell us, um, you, you mentioned you have four kids and, and how old are they now or how old are, were they at the writing of this? Um, now they are 17, 14, 13 and 12. Okay. Uh, and, uh, almost 13 and okay. 12, not quite 13. Um, uh, one of my children is adoptive, the one in between the 12 and the 14 year old. So, you know, it's not quite as tight as, right. it, as it sounds. It's sort of, it's sort of biologically impossible the way that, the way right. that we are. Um, so I've, I typically explain it. Um, and the two, so the three youngest ones are all within a 20 month. Got it. Span. Yes. Uh, and when I wrote the book, my two girls, who are my two middles, uh -huh. um, they lived in the same bedroom. Uh -huh. They were on the same hockey team. They attended the same school. And it's a tiny school. Uh -huh. um, you know, they dinner together. They breakfast yeah. together everywhere. They went in the car. They went together. They really had nothing that was not shared. And that was not because they wanted it that way. Right. Right. It's just the way. We live in a small town and yeah. it's just the way their life had shaken out yeah. and things were not good. Well, and you kind of describe as even though they're so close in age, there's one that's, you know, pulling away into preteen stuff and one that right. isn't. And what's funny is I, I'm always thinking about our, our listeners who have, say, like, you know, an 18 month and a old and a three year old, because I think the sibling, it, the funny thing is some of it never changes. You're always worried that they're going to hate each other for the rest of their life. You're always worried that the more dominant one's going to kind of squash the spirit of the less dominant one. It just plays out differently. And you got pretty detailed in the chapter about this was hard for you. The, you know, oh, this was miserable. <laughs> and let me just say that they are both the dominant one. Okay. All right. <laughs> like that. These are my girls are. Um, my, my boys are they're They're complicated in different ways. But my girls are just, they're pieces of work. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah. So they're intense. They're both extremely intense, loud, challenging. <laughs> like, you know, ain't nobody going to put baby in a corner, right? Times right? um, two. I right don't even next have to, to worry about that. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't even be baby in the first place. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, so, 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 yeah, it was, it was really. And it was really hard. I didn't want to see them this way. And everyone was miserable because you know that when children are fighting. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm going back. 
So one thing about having them so close in age is that when they were littler, they basically were a play date. Yeah. You know, I mean, they would they did fight. Mm -hmm. They've always it's always been kind of bickery. It's always been. And a lot of it was because the older child always, you know, she she wanted the others to do what she wanted. And Mm -hmm. the young her younger sister was never was never the sister she had in mind. Yeah. Like she she had clearly invented a younger sister in her mind when she learned she was having one. And this is not this what is not planned. what she signed up for. Um, and this is this is the child that once like, you know, had a massive hysterical temper tantrum at a birthday party because people weren't hitting the pinata in the order that she had planned. Oh, so nice. Yeah. She might be a little controlling. Maybe. Yeah. That's so anyway, funny. when they were little, most I mean. It just didn't feel the same. They would they it felt like they were just fighting. But when yeah. they got. To this point, they were so mean and so loud, and they were still frequently hitting or shoving. Yeah, um, which I thought they would grow out of. And I don't know; it just it felt epic. It was dreadful. And so, writing this chapter kind of coincided. So, how did you it totally fi- coincided? <laughs> so, how did you figure out how people are happier around sibling drama when you had it playing out in you know four dimensions in your family at the same time? I almost gave up. I mean, I, got, I was like, I'm not going to put this chapter in. No one can be happier about this. Um, I got like every book. So the first thing I did, my my flat out favorite parenting book that like has this sort of down and dirty practical advice is how to talk so kids will listen and listen mm-hmm. so kids will talk. And that's because been around forever, right? To actually, yeah. So mm-hmm. I can... There's some great modern stuff that's out there. And that one, that one has been along so around so long that her, the author's daughter has written a book called How to Talk to Toddlers. Okay. Or maybe preschoolers. Okay. I don't remember which, which is also very good. But um, that one's you know, it's got like practical things that you can actually say. Well, they have another one called Siblings Without Rivalry. Yep. So I got that and I arranged to talk to them on the phone. Okay. Um, and then I got like every known, but I've, my stack of sibling books is enormous. And I talked to as many people as I could. Well, you quote um, um, Laura, Dr. Laura Markham, who's one of my yep. favorites, especially on the little kids, anything discipline and behavior, in part for the same reason. Her site has so many very, very specific kind of scripts almost like, you know, yes. how like exactly what to say. Um, so yeah. I loved that she was featured in that chapter as well. Yeah. But. Sometimes if you could, uh, sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to stand here and repeat. I'm sure you can work it out yeah. until one of you breaks the other's arm because yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I talked to everybody that I could and and sort of got really deep into this question of when do you when do you intervene in fights and when do you ignore them and learn, you know, uh, learned the strategies for intervening. Yeah. Um, and as I'm writing, I'm, I'm sort of realizing that we've taught them most of the mm. problem solving. They ought to know. Yeah. Right. They, they might not be doing it, but they really ought to, they ought to be able to work this out. And there are a couple of epic battles take place over this time period. And I, I, it was some combination of getting exhausted and also making a conscious decision that I was just repeating myself mm-hmm. and that nothing was getting better. So I was going to try. I was going to try this strategy, um, which basically was given to me by everyone, mm-hmm. which was either. Either basically punish them both, either go mm-hmm. in shouting, both of you shut up, one of you go to this bad mm-hmm. place, the other go to this bad place. <laughs> I'm done um, or just walk away. Yeah. 
Like, no, because I had really been taking sides. I think pretty evenly. Yeah. Um, Which is exhausting. It is exhausting. But you know how it always feels like one of them is fair? Yeah. Like, it always feels like, well, oh, come on. Just, yep. you know, let your sister help you make your brother's birthday cake. Or, oh, come on. Leave your sister alone with her friends. I mean, yeah. you know, there's always an, oh, come on. Yeah. Um, and I needed to stop that. I needed to let them work that stuff out for themselves. And that turned out to be, that turned out to be right. I'm kind of like the screens. It got yeah. a little worse before it got better, yeah. but nobody was actually physically injured, although some claimed to be. Um, and, you know, it, it needed to get better without me. Yeah. And that's been, as your kids get older, that's been an interesting, actually, that's like a happier parent generalization, mm-hmm. which is that happier parents tend to be more, they tend to be doing more for and with their kids when they're younger and mm-hmm. then backing away as mm-hmm. their kids get oh, older. I like that. I like that. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to know where on that continuum you're supposed to be. Right. Right. And it's, it's like a constant it zigzag. Yeah. It yeah. totally zigzags. And that's OK. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I think. So one thing my mom told me after when, when I had my own set of siblings was that like of of very few regret, quote unquote regrets. But one thing she said she spent way too much time worrying about was that fighting us fighting as kids was going to mean we didn't like each other as adults. And I have kept Mm -hmm. that in mind because I like my siblings and we get along and the, our relationships are not correlative to how much or when we fought as kids. Like it just, it was more of a personality matchup and the dynamic when we were kids so I've tried to keep that in mind, too. Like there may there may need to be some strategies now because it's either driving me bananas or they're just in a very unhealthy place. But it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily a predictor of all future doom. And that's a, probably a good generalization, too. Right. Like and I just think because I have you have a problem because prob- I don't yeah. have siblings. Yes. That's so I didn't have yeah. that to fall back on. And then, I, you know, one of my kids is adoptive and it's mm-hmm. only one. Mm-hmm. Um, which might not be the ideal family structure, but really, is there an ideal family structure? I it's have your no idea. family it's structure. What we've got. Yeah. And so, so I, I would worry like, yeah. you know, this one's just going to leave. And that's going to mess everything up. I mean, not there's no, now that I've had them all for a while, I think this, that one, none of them is any more likely to just leave than any of the rest of them. Right. I actually take a lot of weird heart from David Sedaris. Okay, <laughs> and his extremely messed up set of six siblings, even though one of them killed herself, because they're all still really close, other yeah. than the one who killed. Okay, so you know, but it's still okay. Yeah, like as messed up and crazy as they all were, and as much drug use as seems to be involved have been involved, and um, they're okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. His latest yeah. book is Calypso, and there's a lot. You know, they they share a beach house. Wow, interesting. It's kind of lovely in a really twisted way that often involves like, you know, animal skulls and things like that. But that's okay. (gasps) I can see my kids like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'd like to skip the drug use. But if, you know, I guess that's encouraging that they all survived it. Well, except the one who killed herself. Um, Well, it's it's always. I don't think you. Yeah. But but I, I don't know. The fact that they're somehow okay, I find encouraging. Yeah. No, I agree. It's I think that's always helpful to look at those examples. Um, okay, so I'm going to move on. And as I've mentioned, many, many of our listeners are really in the thick of early motherhood. 
So they, you know, they are listening now and thinking, okay, well, my biggest obstacles to happiness are, and I actually kind of went through and thought of them, sleep. You know, my body is not, I'm like never my own. Um, No friends are feeling isolated. So there's like, there's almost this like parallel set of happiness obstacles. But I think um, this book could actually give a wonderful preview of maybe ways to practice thinking about happiness and strategizing about those obstacles, even if we're talking mostly about older kids stuff here. So I guess I didn't really ask you a question, but um, I think the book, yeah, you know, I think of it as kids from four to 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if all your kids are younger than that, then, then, you know, I I would hope it would help sort of to, like you said, to, to set up some, Things in place, especially screens and the mealtime chapter, I think, is actually even great for younger kids. Yeah. Um, so some of it really, really, really applies. Um, and some of it, you know, is, is you, you, you've got to grow into. Well, yeah. And that again, that's why we're constantly surprised when people tell us that they listen to every episode of the podcast, because we talk a lot of, about this, you know, topics in the same age range. My youngest is five. So neither Megan nor I have babies or toddlers anymore. Um, but. But they tell us they do like that peek ahead. But I guess one my question is, do you think there's are there things having done this research that newer moms can do to kind of, I don't know, set themselves up for happiness, contentment? Or do we all just have to get to these pain points and <laughs> throw and realize, like, how is this my life? And, and then tackle them from there. Well, I mean, there are there's there's the mindset piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned some really great stuff around getting sort of having a brain that practices happiness. And Mm -hmm. this is not, this isn't even parenting specific. Um, I've been researching loneliness lately because I'm going to be a, I'm going to guest host a a morning show on our local NPR channel. And and the topic is going to be loneliness. And I realized that some of the stuff that I've learned about a happier parent mindset is also what they try to teach people who are experiencing loneliness, which is defined not as having a lack of social contact, but as having not as much or as quality social contact as you want. Mm, mm, so you could yeah. be surrounded by people and still be lonely. Yeah. And you could be totally alone and not be lonely. I'm happy. Um, yeah. Anyway, so there's this. There's this. Brain training and the, the expert that I talked about called it um, uh, hardwired, hardwired for happiness. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how he had sort of been a lonely and isolated a young teenager, but somehow, and he sort of stumbled into this when he went to college, he would, someone would invite him to do something and he would take note and he would feel sort of welcomed and part of the community. And it, the the good feeling would last. So the next time someone invited, he, he would make a point of taking note and sort of saying to himself, oh, I'm really part of this community. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, this is great. And what he, and later on, he becomes a neuropsychologist, you know, a, a neuropsychologist scientist and um you know he learns about the brain and he does mri research and all kinds of stuff and what he's found is that if you train your brain to notice the good things your brain is more likely to notice the good things like you create these deeper pathways that let you feel happier um even so so take that moment we were talking about with the dog barf on the floor and the baby barf Mm -hmm. on your shoulder um if some part of your brain is going, well, you know, really, um, I, I don't want to, it's not, it's not an, at least, uh, at least it's not this bad. Right. It's more of a, 
we're basically safe. So if some part of your brain is going, we're basically safe and next, you know, and, and I can make dinner and my partner will come home. Or, yeah, this will be over um, in an hour yeah. or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah and not even so much this will be over, but just here are the good things about this moment, right? Right. right. Um, and if you can teach your brain to notice those good things, it actually it deepens those pathways so that you have those pathways and you'll find yourself noticing more good things. Right. It's like right. practicing happiness yeah. teaches happiness. And I really worked hard on this. Um, and I have really seen a dramatic change. I'm yeah. not actually a super optimistic, warm and fuzzy, happy person. Um, I'm a kind of a negative, complainy, whiny person <laughs> most of the time. Or I was. I think uh -huh. I've actually changed. And I was loading the dishwasher this weekend and I put the last glass in. And the kids had cleaned up after dinner and things were nice. I sort of cleaned up the kitchen and we had company. And, and I just like it was when I put the last dish and I shut the dishwasher and I went, yay. <laughs> and one of my kids was standing there and they were like, yay. And I didn't mean to say yay. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like and I was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm just pleased because I'm done and I get to go to bed and I really like going to sleep. And I don't know. <laughs> and then later, because I was noticing it, like, I, you know, I got into bed and I slid between the cool, soft sheets and some part of me went, oh, cool, so I love bed. Um, and yeah. training yourself yeah. to do those little things gives you these bursts of happiness. And then when things are bad, the, the, the pleasant, it's not like you don't feel horrible when something really horrible is happening, but you can still observe the little pleasantnesses. Yeah. And I, I it just makes it less. I, I think, that's... I think that really applies. I didn't get to practice this when I had a baby. Um, or four. I hope that it would. I think it would help because apparently yeah. it helps in a lot of situations. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it really would. Um, well, before we wrap up, I want to talk briefly about your podcast because you are a fellow podcaster and you are. So tell us about the hashtag am writing podcast. It's hashtag am writing with Jess and KJ and it's all things writing. Basically, we, we tend to talk more about getting the job done, the business of writing. We talked some about craft. We interview um, writers from David Sedaris to somebody who just wrote the la latest viral piece on, on whatever. We interview um, headshot people, uh, PR people, agents. Yeah, editors, agents, yeah. Editors, yeah, because we're really, I, our, our listeners tend to be people who are getting into this. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to know how people got started what the steps are. And also another big focus is when you're a writer, it feels optional. So the question is yeah. how to make it, how to make well, it not optional. I, I mean, I am a regular listener and I'm not even in a writing phase of life right now. I have been in the past and now podcasting is my main thing. And I, I believe I will go back to writing in the future. Well, podcasting is not dissimilar. Yeah. I, well, like and I was what, just prepping to do this loneliness interview and I was like, this is exactly like prepping to write an article, except I'll never have to actually write it. Plus, I can plagiarize because when I actually say <laughs> it, I won't say it the exact same way as so I don't even have to put my sources in here. This is, wow. It's I mean, some cheaters. of them are too, but. Great. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is I, I recommend am, the hashtag am writing to really any creative entrepreneur, really, because I, yeah. I think it's so much about the creative process. It's about procrastination and discipline. It's about reading. I always like you guys always talk about what you're reading. So I, I would say you don't have to be yeah. a writer if you are someone who has a creative practice or 
or craft. Um, mm-hmm. And especially if it's even tangentially related to writing, I think I think it's such a fun. Yeah, or if you have an online thing. quality element to it, and it's also right. you know it's about so anything where you have to self promote, goal setting, goal setting, and, yeah, um, valuing yourself and ethics. Um, yeah, all of those lot. things. Yeah, I agree. So what's interesting is you pulled back the curtain when you were writing this book, and you because oh, I've totally. been listening to to the podcast since the beginning, so you really you know, gave updates on your research, on your writing, on your editing. And it was so that was really interesting. Do you feel like you kind of had people cheering you along and maybe more invested in this brand new book that's coming out? I do. I think there are a bunch of people who will buy it who don't necessarily even they're going to give it to their kids because they're past parenting or they're not there yet. They're going to give it to their sister. Um, I do feel very supported by the community. And I was a little hesitant about it at first. Um. I'm not necessarily somebody who talks a lot about a work in progress. Yeah, it was fun. Um, It was fun to share it that way. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. And I mean, I would have the book is definitely for my demographic anyway, (laughs) but um, definitely feel more connected to the final product. And I think that's something that podcasting and blogging and the Internet in general has allowed us to do is say, come with me, come with me as I write this book. And I'm going to tell you when I am struggling with a chapter or when my editor hated something or I, I, I found it really generous of you and really fun. And I, I would imagine it was fun for you as well to have people kind of follow. Well, along. and it's it's kind of fun for us because and we have been Jess and I have friends since we were what we call baby writers. Uh-huh. So really, um, I, I was sitting with Jess and, and Serena Bowen. When I got the email from Lisa Belkin telling me that she was quitting the motherload blog, oh, wow. um, we were at dinner. I know exactly where we were. And I was like, I have to go, guys. I have, I have a job to apply for. Um, we, I mean, not, we don't quite go back to when I was putting pitches into envelopes and mailing them, but we go back almost, almost. that far. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of come along together and we really... There's, so there's two pieces. We want to share that. Like we want other people to come along and to find their own groups. And, and also we don't, we have realized that other people feel like we've, we're there. Yeah. And we recognize that we're there, but we almost never feel like yeah, we're there. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody does. Like, yeah. And that's really important too. I mean, nobody we talk to even feels like they're there. Right. 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 Okay. We talked to Rick, Richard Russo last week. <laughs> I think he thinks he's there. <laughs> he's got the Pulitzer. I mean, that, that does help. Yeah, I think he's okay. I don't think he feels sort of constantly. um... But you never know. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I really enjoy the podcast. So again, since we're people listening to this are already podcast listeners. So you guys can check that out. It's hashtag am writing with Jess and KJ. Um, And now let's really finish up and tell everyone how and where and when to get the book, because if I'm not mistaken, we're still in pre-order zone for a couple more weeks. Correct. This is coming out early August. Go to my website, which is kjdelantonia.com. Okay. Um, and if you just start trying to spell that, you'll you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, kjdelantonia.com. There's a great pre-order offer. Okay. If you pre-order the book, you can get um, a code for a free chat book, which are these really fantastic oh, yeah. photo books that you oh, can yeah, make either from books. your phone favorites or your social media favorites. Um, and my theory is like, Pictures make you happier. Looking at happy picture times makes you happier. So you can get a code to make a free chat book. That's great. You can get um, a little one pager on happier mornings. Okay. And, you know, that's 
I think there's a couple other things out there. If you, if you want to pre-order and you send me your receipt and authors love pre-orders, it really helps us because it creates a buzz around the book as it comes out. And then it absolutely easier does. for other people to find it. It absolutely does. And if you think and it's you... coming really soon, it'll, it'll be there before you're ready to read it. Exactly. So if you're <laughs> listening to this and you think you might want to get this book anyway, pre-order it as a way to thank KJ for her wisdom. And remember, and you can an pre-order from your indie bookstore or from IndieBound, as well as from the larger options such as Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. <laughs> as well as actually you, you and Jess taught me about um, IndieBound. Is that the one where you find your local? bookstores yes but yeah, yeah you can do it but you can either. also you can order. do two things yeah. you can just ask them to send it to you or you can order it to pick up at your local bookstore yeah and i learned that tip from you because i live in a land of many 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 chain and many many fewer and uh, I, lo- indie. I happen to also love chain bookstores yeah, i'm not no, I, all bookstores i go to so. both yeah yeah um, but i didn't know about that site and that was a great resource so speaking of resources um everything we talked about will be at the momhour.com you just look for voices interview number 28 with kj del antonia and that's where you can find links to the book and other things we talked about um and kj thank you so much for being here this was great thank you it was really fun Okay, guys, if you enjoyed my chat with KJ, be sure to visit howtobeahappierparent.com because she has some great bonuses going right now for people who pre-order the book. The book comes out August 21st. And if you're listening to this when it comes out, that's a couple of weeks away. So definitely go check out the freebie she's offering for people who pre-order the book. Also, don't forget that everything we mentioned on the podcast can be found at themomhour.com. This was episode 28 in our Voices interview series. Thanks so much for listening. And Megan and I will be back with you with a brand new episode on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, guys. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.